Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. I hope the new year is finding you happy, healthy, and safe. On today's show, I'm taking one last look back at the movies I loved and some, well, I didn't exactly do handstands for. There's something for everyone on the best list, from big Hollywood epics to documentaries about volcanoes and even the story of a mollusk looking for his family. I'll tell you about the ones you might have missed and the ones you definitely should miss as I count down 2022 at the movies. 10, 9, 8. Where do you say we come in for my close-up now? 7, 6, 5. Alright, so I'm making like a little documentary. Oh, it's like it's a like... movie, but nobody has any lines and nobody even knows what it is while they're making it. Mm. No? Mm. 4, 3, I think what we have here in Hollywood is high art. One. First up on my alphabetical list of cinema that charmed me in 2022 is Babylon. I think what we have here in Hollywood is high art. It's... If you could go anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? I always want to be part of something bigger. Yes. Let's go! Something that lasts, that means something. You know, when I first moved to L.A., I got your face touching you with that. You know what the signs on all the doors read? No actors or dogs allowed. I changed that. There is nothing modest about Babylon, the three-hour-plus epic from Whiplash director Damien Chazelle. It is unapologetically epic in themes, in length, and in sheer off-the-wall exuberance. A multi-character treatise on the movies and knowing when to leave the party, it is Boogie Nights by way of Fellini's Satyricon, with just a little dash of Singing in the Rain thrown in for good measure. Love it or hate it, and there are valid reasons for either response, it is audacious, chaotic, vulgar, and like its leading lady, played by Margot Robbie, it always makes a scene. Brad Pitt, Robbie, Diego Calva, Jovan Adepo, and a stacked list of supporting players, including Toby Maguire, Olivia Wilde, Flea, and Saturday Night Live's Chloe Fineman, among others, are given lots to do, but the real star here is Chazelle. Babylon is big and sloppy, but Chazelle shoots for the moon in a way that few other recent films have dared. Here's Damien Chazelle on Babylon. I basically early on became interested in those early days of Los Angeles and Hollywood when they were still um, getting built and getting kind of figured out. And um, But the more I sort of looked at that period of time, the more I became aware of just how uh, crazed and insane um, the people were and the environment was. Um, you know, it was this sort of larger-than-life assemblage of of misfits of all stripes who kind of came together to build this city out of nothing, build an industry out of nothing. Um, and there's a certain kind of crazed behavior that comes from that. So I wanted to try to capture in a really unvarnished, unsanitized way, um, just the extremes to which they lived and worked and partied um, and, uh, and what, what that kind of behavior um, led to, both good and bad. That was Damien Giselle, director of Babylon. Next up on my list of movies that really rocked my world in 2022 is The Banshees of Inner Sharon. In it, Colin Farrell plays a character who is devastated when his best friend, played by Brendan Gleeson, announces that he doesn't want to be friends any longer. The fracture in their friendship becomes the talk of their tiny island town and leads to some, well, really startling consequences. Colin, Sonny, Larry, 
Didn't you and he used to be the best of friends? We're still the best of friends. No, you're not. Who says we're not? Sit somewhere else. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. Well, you didn't do anything to me. I just don't like you no more. If you don't stop talking to me... Colm! And if you don't stop bothering me, I have a set of shears at home. And each time you bother me from this day on, I'll take those shears and I'll take one of my fingers off with them and I'll give that finger to you until I have no fingers left. Does this make things clearer to you? Not really, no. Starting from now. But shush like, Polly. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like. Let's just call it quits. We won't call it quits. We'll call it the start. The Banshees of Sharon would be worth the price of admission if only for the inventive use of Irish swear words. Come for the cussing, but stay for the performances and the palpable sense of devastation that comes when a friendship ends and there's no one left to share a pint with at the local pub. I just don't like you no more. And it's such a pleasure to see Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson together again for the first time since they co-starred in the movie In Bruges. There's an undefinable chemistry between them, one that suggests they have a deep bond which makes the break in their on-screen friendship so effective. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, just look right in my face. I was born standing up and talking back. My daddy was a green From the island of Inner Sharon, I take you now to Memphis for my next favorite movie of 2022. Told from the point of view of Elvis Presley's manager, Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis charts the singer's rise from the birth of rock and roll in the late 1950s through to the cheesy Hollywood years and legendary 1968 comeback special to the Las Vegas rise and fall as Elvis and the Colonel shimmied and shook their way to the top of the charts and into the history books. I wish to promote you, Mr. Presley. Walk through a party and a town of jail. Are you ready to fly? Get a haircut, buttercup. In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. The greatest show on earth. Elvis is a great-looking movie. It's a pop art explosion that vividly essays the story's various time frames and styles. It really makes an impact visually and sonically. Director Baz Luhrmann, well, he'll make your eyeballs dance. And then you top that off with a performance from Austin Butler, who plays the king, that'll make your gold TCB chains rattle as he plays Elvis through several stages of his life handing in a well-rounded performance that transcends an impersonation of someone who spawned a generation of impersonators. When the film was in theaters, I spoke with Elvis star Austin Butler and director Baz Luhrmann. I began by asking Baz Luhrmann what the legend of Elvis Presley teaches us about America. Oh, I mean, there's so many layers. And certainly, you can't delve into um, look at America in the 50s, 60s, and 70s without looking at the issue of race and of social turmoil and of like just the push me pull you. I mean, though the amount there are there are 
the assassinations and the historical events that happen throughout the movie that are reflected through where Elvis is um, are very real. And, you know, it's kind of a history play. But also, and above and beyond everything else, it's a cautionary tale about the show and the business. I mean, Colonel Tom Parker, never Colonel, never Tom, never Parker. This, you know, the big, big American gestures. Sell, sell, sell. Ho, 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 ho. Yeah, yeah, roll up, roll up. And the soul, you know, and the sensitivity of this artist who the good, the bad, and the ugly was there to reflect back to us through, through that entire period. And it's there, I think, to reflect to us today. Austin, I'm just going to follow up on Baz's answer. Do you really think that people understand the full width and breadth of Elvis's story? There's so many layers to it, and we all see him through a slightly different lens. I tend to think of him from the 68 comeback special, but there are so many facets to him. Do you think that it's possible to see the person that Elvis actually was? I think the vast majority don't. Yeah, I think I think most people don't, um, because at this point he's been relegated to either a Halloween costume or in this or a caricature that your uncle does, you know, or it's this thing where people will go to the home in Tupelo and kiss the floor where he was born, and so there's this this being held up to such an iconic status that he he is larger than human. And uh, and so I, I think a lot of people don't know the sensitive side of him and and the spiritual side of him and as well as the fact of the thing where you have an icon that you kind of think that they just came out of nowhere, but putting his story into context, as as I know you know a lot more than the than the average layman, you know, but but putting his story into context of uh, like what Baz was saying, the the stories of him going to the gospel tent when he's such a young boy and and feeling the spirit of gospel music and uh, being down on Beale Street and being so inspired by the clothing and and by Little Richard and Sister Rosetta Tharp and uh, Big Mama Thornton and and I mean all of that is just um, is is a, a part of his story that I think there's many misconceptions about and credit hasn't been given where credit is due a lot of the time and uh, and so yeah I'm really proud of the fact that I get to be a part of of this film with Baz and Olivia and and uh, and, and it's it's really remarkable what Baz has done with this because to to find a way of telling his story from a little boy to when he passes away mm. in a film. I, I can't even wrap my mind around how you did this, Baz. I mean, it really is remarkable. You've done <laughs> such a brilliant job. Me neither. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've already told you about Babylon and Elvis, two big movies that got lots of eyeballs last year. But there are others, some smaller films, that are a little harder to find. One of those stars Aubrey Plaza, star of the recent television hit White Lotus. So if you had some money, what would you do? I just want to be able to experience things. I just want to be free. In the next hour, you will make 200 cash, but you will have to do something illegal. You won't be in danger, but you will be breaking the law. Tomorrow, you have the option to do another job, okay? What do I have to do? You know what my mistake really was. I didn't go far enough. 
Director John Patton Ford and Plaza create a portrait of Emily, a millennial fighting for her piece of the American dream, even though it remains just out of her reach. She's a complex character, edgy yet sympathetic, messy but focused. Plaza gives voice to Emily's frustration of being forever punished for one single mistake, but never panders to the audience in an attempt to be likable. She's lost faith in the polite society that hasn't afforded her opportunity, so she steps outside it and doesn't look back. We may not make the same decisions as she, but her motivations, under the weight of a future filled with student debt and crappy jobs, come off as understandable. That is a credit to Plaza's performance that reveals both Emily's vulnerability and her steeliness. Thanks to Plaza, Emily the Criminal is a fascinating character study, but the crime aspects of the story are just as compelling. Like its main character, the movie is a sum of elements, like social commentary, crime drama, a hint of romance and character work whose sum fits together like puzzle pieces. In my alphabetical countdown of my favorite movies of 2022, we go from the very earthbound Emily the Criminal to something that can only be described as otherworldly. In the wild sci-fi action movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, a Chinese immigrant is swept up in an adventure where she alone can save the world by exploring other universes and connecting with the lives she could have led. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. You can say a lot of things about everything, everywhere, all at once, but you can't say you've ever seen anything quite like it before. An eye-popping reflection on the power of kindness and love to heal the world's problems, it is simultaneously exhilarating and exhausting. The directors Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart, known collectively as The Daniels, mix and match everything from family drama and tax problems to martial arts and metaphysics into a whimsical story that moves at the speed of life. Light. I'm not your husband. I'm another version of him from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. Uh, no time to help you. I spoke with one of the stars of Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. That's Vietnamese-American actor Ki Hue Quan. You'll remember him as Short Round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Data in The Goonies. He returns to the screen after a 20-year absence to play Waymond, the husband of the main character Michelle, played by Michelle Yeoh. For me, what I took away at the core of it, that it's about kindness and, and, and being nice. These things that we seem to not value as much these days as maybe we once did. Uh, and yet, uh, at, by the end of this movie, You've had this wild ride, and there's this very simple, but I thought very potent message at the end of it. Just just be nice, and everything will be okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I love Wayman so much. You know, he, you know, he not only is he an optimist, but he's he also really believes in empathy. Yeah. And 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 especially, I mean, empathy, you know, it you know, creates a pathway for understanding and acceptance. Uh, and I certainly feel that, you know, we need it more than ever, especially what, what everybody has gone through in the last two years. I understand it's been difficult for everybody. Uh, so it, that, that's why, you know, it is my hope that when people go watch our movie, uh, you know, they can escape the real world for a couple of hours 
and then walk away from it feeling like they, you know, they, they, they just witnessed a great conversation being had a conversation about family, love and connection. And also, I mean, most importantly is, you know, the message, you know, like you said about kindness, but also, you know, that we are all entitled to be uniquely ourselves and to feel just simply, you know, that's enough. Next up on my alphabetical list of the movies I loved in 2022 is a really unique documentary. Katya and Maurice Kraft were the Jacques Cousteau's of Volcanoology. Their groundbreaking footage and photographs of Mount St. Helens and others are as epic as they are educational, charting otherwise unfamiliar territory. The documentary, Fire of Love, captures not only the Kraft's ultimately tragic love of volcanoes, but their love for one another. This is Katya. And this is Maurice. <laughs> Tomorrow will be their last day. They will leave behind hundreds of hours of footage, thousands of photos, and a million questions. Alone, they could only dream of volcanoes together they can reach them. The volcano scenes in Fire of Love are truly memorable, but it's the relationship between Katya and Maurice that gives the movie real depth. Their bond is evident in their joy, the sheer exuberance on display. The scenes of them talking are limited to talk show appearances and the odd bit of dialogue, but their bond as soulmates, living and loving the life they've chosen, is undeniable. These are not stuffy scientists, but passionate, funny seekers with a philosophical bent to their understanding of the natural world. Continuing on my alphabetical list of my favorite movies of 2022, we go to Glass Onion, the sequel to the Daniel Craig hit Knives Out. In it, a tech billionaire named Miles Braun, played by Edward Norton, invites his friends for a getaway on his private Greek island. When someone turns up dead, Detective Benoit Blanc is put to the case. I've invited you all to my island. Hi! Because tonight, a murder will be committed. My murder. Once you're dead, will we still be able to talk to you? Yeah, I'm not playing dead the whole weekend, dude. This is truly delightful. Across the island, I've hidden clues. You will have to closely observe each other. If anyone can name the killer, that person wins our game. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a murder, and the killer is in plain sight. For at least one person, this is not a game. I must insist that nobody touch the body. Jeez, detective, who killed the party? There's a lot of talk of disruptors in Glass Onion. Each of the guests at this elaborate murder mystery have caused radical change in their own industries, a fact pointed out by Braun as the reason that they're all friends. It also applies to writer-director Ryan Johnson. He pays homage to a well-worn format, the Agatha Christie ensemble cast and elaborate crime reveal, but breathes new life into the tried-and-true format, updating and disrupting the structure. I recently spoke with one of Glass Onion stars, Janelle Monet. You have lots of scenes with Daniel Craig. Tell me a little bit about uh, working with him and bouncing ideas and, and that incredibly clever dialogue. This is a movie you can watch a few times and get something new from, I think, every time, in particular in the scenes between the two of you. So tell me a little bit about forming those scenes. Sure. No, Daniel is a hard worker. And, and, mm -hmm. and like myself, he likes to rehearse. And I think Ryan, we like to just 
be prepared. And so that gives us that freedom to play. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of fun with our scenes together and trusting each other. And he's so giving as a, as a scene partner, like there were moments where he would just could be at lunch during when it was time for my coverage or any close-ups, but he came back and was like, Hey, what did he need? And, you know, just so cool. And it's the coolest thing watching him switch from his British accent, (laughs) his Southern draw, you know, that was the bad British thing um accent i tried to do but watching him go back and forth between that is just like masterful so far we've had big movies with big stars but i want to tell you about a tiny star who is my favorite character in a movie last year in marcel the shell with shoes on jenny slate voices marcel an adorable one inch mollusk with one googly eye and a pair of pink shoes Once part of a community of shells, Marcel and his grandmother now live alone as the sole survivors of a mysterious tragedy. However, when a documentary filmmaker discovers them, the short film he posts online brings Marcel millions of passionate fans in the hope of finding his long-lost family. All right, so I'm making like a little documentary. Oh, it's like a movie, but nobody has any lines and nobody even knows what it is while they're making it. Mm. No? Mm -hmm. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is shot documentary style with beautiful stop-motion animation to bring Marcel and grandmother Connie to life. The star of the show is Jenny Slate's heartfelt vocal performance at once childlike and wise. Marcel is a singular character, adorable. It's as if he just wandered over from a Pixar movie, bringing with him personality to spare, but also a level of self-awareness and empathy rarely played out on such a high level in family movies. It may be big screen entertainment about a mollusk, but it feels personal and intimate. I spoke with Marcel the Shell with Shoes on star, Jenny Slate. As I told you earlier, we loved this movie. And I think we loved it because there were moments in this film, literally, where I was sitting laughing and crying at the same time. And it it, it approaches grief and loss in a way that, uh, considering the characters, little shells with one googly eye and, and shoes, shouldn't be as affecting, but it really is. So you've got this childlike character with that who has such deep insight into things able to to bring real human emotions to this and i think that is just the 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 real overwhelming success of this film oh i'm glad you think so and yeah i mean i think marcel you know he himself like is not a child in fact we don't really know what his age is but we know that he is He's not, like, young enough to be, like, a baby or a kid, but he's not old enough to be as old as his grandmother. But that said, what he has is a straightforwardness and honesty and, of, and like, a, an openness or a vulnerability that, that for a lot of us gets kind of, like, shamed away or it gets exhausted out of us in, in one way or another. And I think, like, what you said, you know, I, I shouldn't be feeling this height or depth, whatever you want, of emotions um, because of this, like, one-eyed shell, like, googly-eyed thing. But, in fact, I think in life a lot of times we're like, why am I so activated by this small experience? Why did this thing make me cry in front of, you know, my coworkers or whatever? Why did why did these things happen? And I think, I think what we tried to show is that, like, the truth is that things, emotions, um, effects, are simultaneous and a lot of times we experience strange mismatches and like those are the times also when we're not really able to hide our emotional state and 
when more than anything, we actually want to be able to express it. And I, I just think that was really important for us in making the movie to show the truth of, of um, emotional existence <laughs> and, um, and to also not be so, you know, supercilious about it or stuck up about it, to, to place it within the, the vessel of this character, which is this, like, little shell with a googly eye and a, and a small voice, and, and to say, like, here's a comfortable way to face the vibrant, deep way that we all actually emote over our everyday lives. Next up on my alphabetical list of the best movies of 2022 is one for the foodies. In The Menu, starring Ray Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy, a young couple travel to a remote island to eat at one of the world's most exclusive restaurants. Unbeknownst to them, the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises and unexpected ingredients. Welcome to Hawthorne. It'll be our pleasure to feed you. What happens inside this room is meaningless compared to what happens outside. We are but a frightened nanosecond. Nature is timeless. What the hell is going on? I love you all. We love you too, sir! Any questions? The menu is buoyed by terrific performances, particularly from Ray Fiennes as the perfectionist chef and Taylor Joy as the pragmatic Margot. But most importantly, because all the characters are as sour as vinegar, you never quite know where the story is going. That unpredictability is exciting, leaving the characters and the audience walking on eggshells. Next up is Nope, the science fiction film from director Jordan Peele. In the film, caretakers at a California horse ranch encounter a mysterious force that affects human and animal behavior. What if I told you that today you'll leave here different? Pops! Pops! I'm talking to you. You see something above the clouds. That's big. How big? Big. You think whatever killed pops is out there? Right here, you are gonna witness an absolute spectacle. So what happens next? Ain't nobody gonna get what we gonna get. What we gonna get? The money shot. What's up? Undeniable proof of aliens on camera. The Oprah shot. They're just waiting for the perfect time to shove metal probes up our asses. I'll be rooting for you. Like Jordan Peele's other films, Get Out and Us, Nope has jump scares and disturbing images, but this isn't a horror film. It's a sci-fi movie that explores the fear of the unknown by way of Hollywood westerns, monster flicks, and of course, iconic Steven Spielberg sci-fi films like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. These homages are lovingly assembled to create something fresh, but students of film will have a hoot dissecting the movie's visual influences and Peele's obvious love for the form. It's an ambitious movie that feels less focused than Peele's other films, but nonetheless, Nope earns a yup. <laughs> up on my alphabetical look at the movies I enjoyed the most in 2022 is Moon Age Daydream, a look into legendary artist David Bowie's sound and vision. 
It's an immersive look at the life and career of the legendary artist that features previously unreleased footage from David Bowie's personal archives and is the first film to be officially authorized by the musician's estate. Questions have arisen such as who is he, what is he, where did he come from, is he a creature of a foreign power, is he a creep, is he dangerous, is he smart, dumb, nice to his parents, real, a put on, crazy, sane, man, woman, robot, what is this? Are you there, David? Are you there, Mr. David Bowie? Uh. I'm a mama papa calling for you I'm a space invader I'll be a rock and roller bitch with you All people, no matter who they are All wish they'd appreciated life more It's what you do in life that's important Not how much time you have what you wish you'd done. Life is fantastic. Director Brett Morgan has created an experience with Moon Age Daydream. It's a collage of sound and vision that over the two and a quarter hour running time creates a portrait that doesn't attempt to define the artist as much as it does to illuminate David Bowie's ever-changing philosophical mindset. To achieve this, Morgan mixes never-before-seen footage and performances, 40 remastered songs spanning David Bowie's entire career and, as narration, excerpts from 50 years of interviews with the singer and musician. I spoke with director Brett Morgan about Moon Age Daydream and David Bowie. I mean, he was a rite of passage and a cultural passport and um, really expanded all of our horizons. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot as I try to contextualize David's career is the courage and the audacity to be willing to give up, to sacrifice your audience, yep. your fame, your security, all of that just to scratch a creative itch. I know David wanted to sell records. It's not like he didn't want to sell records, but they had to be on his terms. In the outfit, Oscar-winning actor Mark Rylance plays a tailor who must outwit a dangerous group of mobsters in order to survive one fateful night. If we only allowed angels to be customers, soon we'd have no customers at all. Please, sir, I don't want any trouble. I need you to listen carefully. There are a thousand blue boys out there hunting for this. And if they find it, I start shooting, you follow? Making matters worse, there are a thousand racket boys hunting for it too. And if they find it, they start shooting, you follow? Don't want to be involved in whatever it is you do. You know exactly what it is that we do. Manipulation, deceit, double dealings, and death are the name of the game in this literate adult thriller. Although the outfit wasn't written for the screen by director Graham Moore, who took home the Oscar for writing The Imitation Game, it feels like a stage play. From minimal sets, the whole thing takes place in two rooms, to the intimate performance and the intricate, wordy script, it is unabashedly and wonderfully theatrical. 
For my next choice of one of the best movies of 2022 on my alphabetical list, we look to the skies. In Top Gun Maverick, the 36 years in the making sequel to the sky-high 1986 Tom Cruise movie, Pete Maverick Mitchell is called back to Top Gun, the United States Navy training program where he learned fighter and strike tactics and technique. This time he'll be training 12 of the brightest and best recent Top Gun graduates for a dangerous mission to locate and destroy an underground uranium enrichment site. Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You were here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, a.k.a. Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. Top Gun Maverick is a sequel that plays it safe with the story but lets it rip in the blockbuster action sequences, giving the audience the expected need for speed. But what really sets the new and old film apart is Cruise. He was a movie star then, and he's a movie star now, but with age, the stakes for his character are higher. Maverick is still a hotshot, but here the character is tempered by the sins of the past and a real concern for the future. Cruz's work shaves some of the hyper-masculine edges off Maverick to reveal a more human and humane character than the first time around. It centers the movie with some earthbound emotion to counter the sky-high action. Here's Miles Teller who plays the character Rooster in Top Gun Maverick on what it's like to work with Tom Cruise. I mean, working with Tom, I was saying I, I wish that everybody in every position in... Uh, in, in our business, but even outside this business, I don't care if you work like in a cubicle, have Tom Cruise just like with you on set or in your office, wherever it is, and you will just run through a brick wall. I mean, he really is, he, his work ethic, I had heard so much about, but when you see it in person, it's just like, it's, yeah, it's just amazing. And also, you know, people say there's only 24 hours in a day, and I don't think that's true for Tom. I don't I don't I don't think he works on a clock. I think it's just constant energy. Based on the 2018 Miriam Taves novel of the same name, Sarah Pauly's drama Women Talking follows eight women who conduct a secret meeting in a hayloft to discuss their options after learning they've been repeatedly drugged and raped by the men in their tightly knit religious community. Inspired by real-life sexual abuse that occurred in an ultra-conservative Mennonite community in Bolivia, the film stars Francis McDormand, Claire Foy, Rooney Mara, and Jesse Buckley. Where I come from, where your mother comes from, we didn't talk about our bodies. We were given two days to forgive the attackers before they returned. We hardly knew how to read or to write. But that day, we learned how to vote. Do nothing. Stay and fight. Leave. Leave. If we do not forget these men, we forfeit our place in heaven. Surely there must be something worth living for in this life, not only the next. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised and infected and pregnant and some of us are dead. We cannot forgive because we are forced to. 
Sarah Pauly, who wrote as well as directed Women Talking, ensures that each of the characters bring dynamic notions to their performances and aren't just placeholders representing opposing ideas for the sake of drama. The setup, based on true events, offers a fascinating window into a fight for survival and the opportunity to examine the situation from a variety of thoughtful viewpoints. A film set largely in one room whose action is verbal, not physical, could have been dry or at least feel stage-bound, but Pauli's deep dive into the human condition crackles with life. She has carefully calibrated every line, every pause, to create forward momentum as the life-changing deliberations move toward their conclusion. Women Talking is elegant filmmaking, buoyed by an emotional intelligence and powerhouse performances. Rounding out my alphabetical list of the best movies of 2022 is The Whale. Brendan Fraser plays a 600-pound man just days away from death who attempts to repair the damaged relationship with his 17-year-old daughter. Why do you suddenly need to see her so bad? Why now? Yes. I'm worried that she's forgotten what an amazing person she is. I need to know that she's gonna have a decent life where she cares about people and that she's gonna be okay. The specter of death hangs over every frame of the whale, and yet Brendan Fraser manages to bring optimism, empathy, and joy to a character not long for this world. He's looking to set things straight and make sure that his daughter will have the tools to have a decent life after he goes. It is a tremendous performance that soars, transcending the stage-bound nature of the story. I spoke with Brendan Fraser about playing Charlie in The Whale. It takes an incredibly strong person to inhabit the body that Charlie does by simple virtue that I could take all of that apparatus off at the end of the day, but I still had a sort of swimming, undulating sense of almost vertigo that stayed with me. Yeah. and. It gave me a, a real visceral appreciation or understanding of those who live with eating disorders or obesity. And, and I think that judging by the response that we're seeing from the whale, um, I think that it's also reorienting the way people feel about those who live with that. And it does my heart good. Yeah. That, that, that changed me. That was Brendan Fraser talking about his role in The Whale. Look for him to be recognized when Oscar time rolls around. Now I know I said I was going to tell you about the best and the worst movies of the year of 2022, but you know what? I ran out of time and I always think it's better to concentrate on the positive stuff, the good movies, the movies that we really enjoyed. Maybe another time we can talk about some of the stinkers and there were quite a few of those this year. But I think the good news here is that there were way more good ones than bad ones. I'm Richard Krauss and I want to thank you for spending some time with me today. Stay happy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll see you at the movies.